You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. Thank you, Danny. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here with you today. My name is Matt, and uh, we're going to jump in and have a look at that passage. Now, uh, we are in this uh, series of the Gospel of Luke at the moment. It's one of the four biographical accounts of Jesus' life and his teaching. And we've called the series The Preacher from Nazareth. And so here's my question for all of us today. The question is, is it enough to just think of Jesus as a good preacher? Is that enough? Is that enough for him to change your life? Or does he need to become something more than that in your life? So think about yourself. What is your response to Jesus? Do you see Jesus as a good preacher who has good lessons to teach you? Lots of people think of him like that. Or do you see him as your Lord? And how do you know which one of those you are? Well, in our passage today, Simon Peter uh, has this encounter with Jesus uh, and it takes him from being of seeing Jesus just as a preacher to seeing Jesus as his Lord. And so what I want us to do today as we look at this passage together is to use this passage and Peter's response to Jesus to diagnose our own hearts and to see what place does Jesus really have in our life. So let's jump in. Let's have a look at it. Like always, I'll put the verses up on the screen as we go, but... Really, it's so much better if you have a Bible open in front of you. You know, a few years ago before mobile phones became so fancy, people used to bring Bibles to church. It's still okay to bring your Bible to church. It's a good thing to have it open in front of you. Why don't you do that next week? Because it doesn't matter in the end what I have to say. It matters what God has to say in his word. And so do that. Have it open in front of you. But let's let's jump in and have a look at it. So we're in chapter 5 of Luke. Uh, and... By the time we get to chapter 5, uh, Jesus' reputation has been growing. Uh, he's been uh, teaching and doing miracles, and so news of him has spread throughout the whole region of Galilee. Uh, and in today's passage, we get another occasion uh, that Jesus uh, teaches, and this great crowd of people come to hear from him. Now, don't think hundreds of people. Think thousands of people, maybe even tens of thousands of people. There's these huge crowds coming to hear Jesus preach. Now, it was on the edge of a lake that he was uh, preaching, and it says that he was teaching them the word of God. Uh, literally, in the Greek, it says the words that come from God. But there's a problem, that as he's seeking to teach and preach, the crowd is pressing in around him. They're crowding around him, uh, maybe desperate to get close to him. Last, last uh, week, we saw he'd been healing and casting out demons. And so maybe people have come desperate to get healing. And so they've come in for that. And so there's this problem. And so he looks around and he sees these two fishing boats on the edge of the, the lake. And so he asks if he could get into one of those to stop the people from uh, pressing in around him. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't do anything by accident, does he? It was no accident that he happened to be teaching in this particular place on this, the side of the lake. And it was no accident that the boat that he got into belonged to Simon. Now, just for the record, Simon is Peter. Peter is Simon. They're the same person. Uh, at the moment, his name is Simon. Later on, uh, Jesus will change his name to Peter. But Peter and Simon are the same person. I'll use them interchangeably throughout our passage. So don't be confused. Um, now, for a long time, I had thought that this incident here, 
as Jesus gets into the boat with Peter was the first time that Jesus had, or that Peter had ever met Jesus. But actually, that's not the case. If you look in uh, John's gospel, uh, Peter's brother Andrew uh, had started following John the Baptist, and then when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, uh, Andrew started following Jesus. And he was so enthralled by him that he wanted to introduce him to his brother Peter. And so he did that. And so uh, Peter had met Jesus that way. Now, last week in our passage, remember the, the lady that Jesus healed who was sick with a fever? Well, whose mother-in-law was it? Well, it was, sorry, it was Peter's mother-in-law. You get the point. Um, but whatever Peter knew or had experienced about Jesus this preacher from Nazareth, he wasn't convinced in the same way that his brother was. And so Peter, uh, uh, Jesus jumps into this boat. And, you know, to be fair, I think Peter probably owes him a favor or two by this stage. He's just healed his mother-in-law. But <laughs> Jesus asked him, pull out a little from the shore. And then he sat down in the boat and he began to preach to this great crowd of people. And that would have been a great place to do it because sound travels really well over water and the amphitheater of like uh, the, the slope running down to the water, these thousands of people would be able to hear him as he taught and wouldn't crowd him. Now, what we're told next isn't what Jesus said. We don't get anything about the content of his preaching here. We'll get more of that later on as we go in, uh, into the Gospel of Luke. But what we do get here is the interaction between Jesus and Peter. Now, that's important because this is really the focus of this passage. And if you miss that as the main point, well, then you won't understand what this passage is about. And it's what happens next that must have been quite frustrating for Peter as a fisherman. Look, Have a look at verse 4. That should come up on the screen. Oh, oh okay, cool, cool. Um, when he had finished speaking, that's Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now have a think about that. How would you be feeling if you were Peter? This carpenter turned, fish, uh, turned preacher is telling this professional fisherman how to fish. He's probably spent his whole life uh, learning his trade on the Sea of Galilee and now some preacher turns up and tells him how it is that you should fish. Now, nothing about this makes any sense. They've been fishing all night. By now, it's mid-morning after Jesus has finished teaching. The fish aren't there. For anyone who goes fishing, you go fishing at night. You don't go fishing during the day. You don't catch anything. The fish are there at night. And so Peter responds uh, in verse 5. Should come up onto the screen again. There we go. Uh, Simon answered, Master, we have been working hard all night and haven't caught anything. You can hear the defeat in his words, can't you? He's been out all night. They've been toiling, working hard, and they haven't even caught one fish. Now, this is their livelihood. They're not just doing it for fun. You don't catch anything. You don't make any money. We're tired. We're hungry. We just want to repair our nets, and we want to go home. In other words, there's no fish. If there was, we would have caught them already. And yet... There's something about Jesus, there's something about him that makes Peter say, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. He knows enough about this Jesus to go, well, there's something different about him. If you say so, I'll let down the nets. 
And so Peter lets down the nets for a catch. Now, he must have been pretty sceptical in this moment. He's been up all night fishing, hasn't caught anything. Everything in his experience as a fisherman says, we're not going to catch anything. But then something happens. It's something that's going to change Peter's life forever. So verse 6 says, when they had done this, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled two boats full, so full that they began to sink. Now you can just imagine the surprise on, on uh, Peter's face at this. This is no ordinary catch. Uh, fish is such a large number that the nets start to break. The boat starts to sink. Now these boats would have been somewhere between 20 and 30 feet long. That's longer than the stage up the front here. This is a miraculous amount of fish that they catch. Uh, now, as I was writing this sermon this week, I was, got a bit curious about how much a catch like this would be worth, and so I decided to Google it. And what I realized quite quickly is that there's a lot of people with way too much time on their hands because <laughs> people have written all sorts of research papers about this. Here's one. Um, so this is, it's entitled, An Estimate of the Value of Two Boatloads of Fish, as recorded in Luke 5, 1 to 11. <laughs> and they go to all this kind of effort. There's, there's pages and pages of calculations and formulas to try and figure this out. Now, by their calculations, uh, looking at the average size of a fishing boat in the first century in the region of Galilee, the displacement of water that it would have caused to have a boat or two boats full of fish... Um, that this catch would have weighed something in the realm of 62,000 pounds or about 30,000 kilos of fish. And if you sold that, that would be enough uh, to pay their wages of these four fishermen for about 25 to 35 years. Now, I have no idea if that's right. <laughs> Looks pretty convincing to me. Lots of formulas and stuff that I can't understand, but... The point is, this was no ordinary catch of fish, was it? This wasn't an ordinary day's catch. It wasn't even an ordinary week's catch or a year's catch. This was an extraordinary amount of fish, a miracle. And you see this with the reaction of these fishermen. Verse 9, he, that's uh, Simon Peter, and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now, in the Greek, Luke actually uses two words here that the NIV has translated astonished. It means something like overwhelmed with amazement. All the way through the book so far, as Jesus teaches and does miracles, it says the people were amazed. Here they're overwhelmed with amazement at the size of this catch of fish. So big that the nets start to break, so big that they finally get it in the boat, the boats start to sink. It's beyond anything they've ever experienced in their lives. And they're overwhelmed. Put yourself in that situation. You're a first century Galilean fisherman. What would your response be to this? In fact, I need to take a drink. So why don't you talk to the person next to you? What would be your response to this? Go for it.
Alright, I bring it back. Bring it back. I don't know about your response. My response would be to bring him in as a partner in the fishing business. Or if at least if he wouldn't do that, I'd say, can you at least come back tomorrow and do the whole thing again? That'd be great. But the focus, again, in this passage isn't on Peter's response to the fish. In fact, this is the last thing we ever hear about the fish. What Luke wants to focus our attention on in this passage is Peter's response to Jesus. And so what I want to do with the time we have left is I want us to to dig into this response that Peter has to Jesus and see what we can learn from it. Now, just so you know, the first one will be longer than the other ones. It's always the way, isn't it? First, we've got three things that we can learn from Peter's response. So number one. Only when Jesus is your Lord will you see yourself clearly. Or to say it another way, you won't see yourself clearly until you first see Jesus clearly. Take a look at Peter's response in verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw this. Now, what's the this? Well, obviously, this is the, this miraculous catch of fish. But it's more than just the fish. Because what Peter realizes in this moment is that this is something that is not humanly possible. It's a miracle, something that only God could do, that Jesus here has sovereignly commanded these fish, to thousands of them, to swim to this one place at this one moment into these nets, and they obey him. And so what is Peter's response? Well, it says he fell at Jesus' knees. Prostrating yourself like that, it's a sign of, of submission and humbleness and realizing that the person in front of you is clearly more powerful and superior to yourself. In this case, it could even be a sign of worship as he goes down on his knees. But it's what Peter says next is so telling. He says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, remember earlier on in this account, uh, as Jesus tells Simon to put out his nets, uh, he, he replied by calling him master. Now, if you trace this use of master through uh, the Gospel of Luke, what you, what you see is every time someone in the Gospel calls Jesus master, it's someone who doesn't yet understand who Jesus is. Uh, they see him as someone as a, who has authority, as this great preacher, but they don't yet see him as God. And yet here... After witnessing this miracle, he no longer addresses him as master. He says, Lord. Peter no longer sees Jesus as just this great preacher. He now sees him as Lord, as God. And it's when he sees that, that he then turns and looks at himself and sees himself clearly. And so he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, why does he say that? Well, it's not just because, it's not that he doesn't want to be around Jesus. It's because he, as he sees Jesus and then sees himself in response to that, he can see the great chasm that there is between him, between Jesus and himself because of his sin. And so he pleads with Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. But Peter isn't the first person in the Bible, who has responded to God in this way. You see the same thing happening all throughout the Bible as people come into the presence of God. 
Now, I don't know if you've heard anyone say this. I hear, hear people say this a bit. They'll say something like, if I met God, I'd have a few questions for him. No, you wouldn't. If you met God, you would fall on the ground in terror with your head down. That is the response that you would have if you met God. Now, here's a few examples from the Bible. It says, when, Ab- uh, when Abraham met God, it says that he called himself dust and ashes in comparison. When Ezekiel, in the first chapter of Ezekiel, when he has his vision of God, he falls to the ground and can't even look up at him. At the end of the book of Job, after all that Job goes through in his life, Job says, Now my eyes have seen you, God. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Or the Apostle John in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, as he has a vision of the risen Lord Jesus, uh, records this. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then there's the the prophet Isaiah. Remember Isaiah in chapter 6 when he has this great vision of the Lord? Here's what it says. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah records his response to seeing this God in verse 5. Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's response here to seeing the Lord is to call down curses upon himself and to confess his sin and the sin of his people. When you see God for who he is and therefore see yourself, that will be your response. The problem is we often don't take the time to look, do we? Here's what C.S. Lewis says. Now, I know we always quote C.S. Lewis. I know it's like a joke at this church. It's like you guys always wear unbuttoned collared shirts and you always quote C.S. Lewis. (laughs) He's always got something good to say, so stop judging us. Or find us something else. That was unrelated. Don't worry about that. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. In God, you come up against something which in every respect is immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, you there, uh, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. That's why we quote him. He's pretty good. This is what happened to Peter. As he looked up and saw Jesus for who he was, as Lord, as God, then he could see himself clearly. And he could see the gap between him and Jesus. And so he responds and says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
Now, this isn't so much of a confession as a realization that compared to him, he had no right to stand in his presence. Have you had that experience of God, of Jesus? Because if you haven't seen and understood Jesus as Lord, as God, well, then you won't be able to understand yourself, your sin, and therefore your need of a saviour. Now, the current cultural moment that we live in at the moment, now this is constantly changing, but at the moment it seems to be that what people say is if you want to find out who you really are, if you want to see your true self, you ought to look within, right? That's what our culture says. But if you do that, you will never get a clear view of who you really are. Have a listen to the, uh, the great theologian John Calvin. He says it this way. He says, you never attain true self-knowledge until you have previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into oneself. For we always seem to ourselves just and upright and wise and holy until we are convinced by clear evidence of our injustice, vileness, folly and impurity. Convinced, however, we are not if we look to ourselves only and not to the Lord also. If you haven't had an experience of Jesus like that, you won't be able to see yourself for who you really are. You won't see him as Lord and you won't see your need for him as a saviour. And so number one, only when you see Jesus as Lord will you be able to see yourself clearly. That's the first one. I said that would be the longest. Second one is this. Only when Jesus is your Lord will he then give you a new purpose. Only when Jesus is your Lord will he then give you a new purpose. Look at how Jesus um, responds to Peter. We've had Peter responding to Jesus. Now Jesus will respond to him. Now what he does is he doesn't rebuke him for his sin, but he brings comfort and gives him a new purpose. Have a look at the second half of verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, Jesus didn't show himself or reveal himself to Peter here so that he could rebuke him. That's not why he came. He's not so much concerned about what Peter has done in his past. Jesus is going to deal with that. That's where he's headed. He's headed to the cross. That's where all the Gospels head to. That's why he can say, don't be afraid. Jesus is going to deal with his sin But now that he has humbled himself, now that he's seen Jesus as Lord, he wants to now give him a new purpose. So he says, don't be afraid from now on. Do I have that on there? No, I don't. We'll leave that. From now on, verse 10, you're a fisher people. You aren't going to be what you were in the past. You used to be a fisherman fishing for fish, but now you are going to fish for men. You thought that big catch of fish was exciting. Wait till you see what it's like fishing for men. Now, what what does that mean? Well, it's a metaphor, isn't it? It's a metaphor uh, for preaching the gospel, to going, going out and being witnesses to the world of Jesus, that he is Lord. Now, in the Greek here, it says to catch alive. As Peter used to catch fish and kill them. Now what I want you to do is catch people and give them life in me. That's going to be your new purpose. Now, 
At the end of the Gospel of John, I don't know if you know this story, in, in chapter 21, after Jesus has risen from the dead, uh, there's this another very similar account of a miraculous catch of fish. Do you know that story? It's, it's so similar to this one in many ways that uh, some have suggested it's the same story. They've just put it in a different place in, in John's Gospel. But they're not the same event. If you read them, there's many differences between the two. But I think what's happening there is that Peter needs a reminder of his purpose. For three years now, Jesus, uh, Peter and his, the disciples have been with Jesus, following him, listening to his teaching, watching him do all the things that he has done. He has now died on the cross. He's risen. They've, uh, Jesus has appeared to them. He's conquered sin and death. And now it's time for them to go out now and start proclaiming this good news of the gospel to fish for people. But it seems like Peter's forgotten what kind of fish he is meant to be catching. And so he decides to go fishing and he invites some of the other disciples along. And they fish all night. And when the morning comes, someone from the land yells out, have you caught anything? And they say, no, we haven't caught a thing. Sound familiar? And then this person from the shore yells out, oh, just throw your nets on the other side of the boat. You know what, mate? You're on the wrong side of the boat. All the fish are there. Just put them on the other side. That's where the fish are. And now, to be honest, again, I think if I was there, I'd be pretty annoyed at some random from the beach yelling out saying that to me. But they give it a go. And when they put their nets on this side, they bring in this crazy catch of fish, so many that they can't even haul them all in. Now, as soon as this happens... Peter, what does he do? Well, he realizes who it is on the shore. He jumps off the boat, dives into the water and swims to the shore to see Jesus. And I imagine as he's swimming, he was reminded back to the start, to our passage today when Jesus first called him and gave him this new purpose. It's as if Jesus had to remind him again by doing the same thing all over again. Peter, this is your new purpose. You're no longer to fish for fish. You are to fish for people. And it doesn't take long. As, the, as it goes on, Jesus commissions his disciples to go out uh, and to proclaim the gospel. And that's what they do. And they start hauling in catches. At the, the start of uh, Acts, Peter stands up and he gives his first sermon. And Luke records that at the end of it, 3,000 people believed and were saved. And then a few days on, as, the, uh, as he stands up again and preaches again, another 2,000 people believe and are saved. And on and on it goes. It said people were being added to their number daily. And on and on it goes. And 2,000 years later, people are still being saved into God's kingdom. Grace City, this isn't just Peter's purpose, though, is it? If Jesus is your Lord, if Jesus is my Lord, then this is our purpose too. As you raise your kids to know and to love Jesus, as you sh- seek to share the gospel with your work colleagues and your friends and your family and your neighbours, as you give generously to missionaries and to churches so that they can go and reach people. And this is why our church exists. This is why we run things like Alpha and Explore, We're, so that people will not just see Jesus as a good teacher, but so they will see him as Lord and that they'll give their lives to him. If we're not doing that, what are, we, what are we here for? What greater purpose could we have in our life but to see others come to faith in Christ? 
There's nothing that we could do that has greater eternal significance than that, is there? So do you see that as your purpose? Because only when Jesus is your Lord will he give you a new purpose to become fishers of people. That's the second one. Now there's one last thing that we can learn from this story. Here it is. Number three. Only when Jesus is your Lord will you be willing to leave behind everything else. Now, once Jesus calls Peter, the next thing we are told that he does in response to this is in verse 11. So so they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Now, what's the everything they're leaving behind here? Well, it's it's this miraculous catch of fish in the two boats that would have made them rich, you know, 25 to 35 years worth of wages for all of them. But it's their boats, it's their jobs. They leave it all. Now, some preachers take a passage like this and turn it into how God wants to make you wealthy. Have you ever heard a sermon like that? God wants to make you wealthy, so come to him and he's going to give you lots of stuff. But that's not what this is about. Even that research paper I showed you before, the conclusion they reached in that was that the reason it was 25 to 35 years worth of wages for them all is because Jesus was paying them out so they could leave their fishing business behind and go and follow him. That's not what it says. It says they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. It means to abandon, to leave behind. For them, these things had no value anymore because they had found something that was more valuable. It's what Jesus says in Matthew 13. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Or what Paul says in Philippians 3, but whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Do you see Jesus like that? Is he worth leaving anything and everything behind to follow? Because if you don't, then he's not your Lord. Maybe he's a good teacher, but he's not your Lord. Now, does it mean that to become a follower of Christ, you need to leave everything behind? Give up your job, sell everything, give it away. Maybe. As you keep reading on in the Gospel of Luke, the the next person uh, that is named is Levi. And Jesus calls Levi to follow him and he leaves everything and follows him. Later on, the rich young ruler, Jesus says, he looks at him and loved him and said, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. It might mean that you need to give up anything. But at the very least, it means that you need to be willing to give up anything and everything that gets in the way of you following Christ. Because it's only when Jesus is your Lord that you will see him as the greatest treasure, willing to give up anything else, to leave it behind so as to follow him. So, Grace City, have you done that? Are you willing to give up anything in your life to follow Jesus?
Well, as we finish up, I want you to consider your own response to Jesus. I want you to consider it and ask yourself, are these true for you? Let me put them back up on the screen, these three things. Are these true in your own life? Maybe for you, Jesus is still just a preacher, a good moral teacher to you. Well, maybe it's time to take a further step and to see him for who he is as Lord and then follow him. Or maybe for many of us here, these things used to be true. He used to live like this, but over time, other things have crept back in. And so you're back to him as a teacher and a preacher rather than him as Lord of your life. What is it for you? Only when Jesus is your Lord will you see yourself clearly. Only when Jesus is your Lord will you give him, well, sorry, will he give you a new purpose. And only when Jesus is your Lord will you be willing to leave behind everything else and follow him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account. We thank you for Peter's response to Jesus here and how much of that teaches us about what it looks like to follow you. Father, would you help us to see Jesus clearly for who he is as Lord and therefore to see ourselves in response to that. Father, we thank you that as we see your son as Lord, that he gives us a new purpose, that whatever we were doing in the past is no longer what we live for, but we are to live for him and his kingdom and to go out and to share this amazing message, to make disciples. And Father, we pray that in response to seeing who Jesus is, that him as our greatest treasure, we'd be willing to leave behind anything and everything that would get in the way of us following and treasuring him above all else. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.